0: Thank you, Lord, that you don't back down from really difficult conversations that could do us so much good. We pray that this morning, that as your word is open, and as we hear about the story of Peter, that you would have a conversation with us, and that it would be just the right one to bring us the healing we need. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. and turn to John 21 in your bulletins or Bible, please. It's still Eastertide uh, in the global church. It's still Easter here at Emmanuel Anglican, and we'll be so for the next couple weeks. We're coming to, to near the end of our series called Life After Death, Seven Conversations with Jesus. Uh, These are gentle, powerful interactions that Jesus has with his friends after he rose from the dead. They're tender conversations. They're life-changing conversations. And as you know, one conversation can change everything for good or bad in a relationship that matters to you. We see Jesus, after he was resurrected, having life-changing, healing, tender, one-to-one conversations with people that were discouraged after he died. People that were grieved after he died. People that were totally afraid after they saw him die. And one by one, lives are changed. One by one, they're restored to their true calling and true vocation. And that's the thing. If we don't have these conversations with Jesus, something in us gets sidelined. Something important that Jesus wants to call out and send forth gets sidelined. Gets snuffed out. And so Jesus, through these tender, loving, powerful conversation helps draw out the hell that's wedged itself inside our hearts and breathe the holy spirit into us breathe heaven into us and restore our vocations and restore our life now some conversations are easier than others you know grief if any of you have have grieved you know that you can't really control grief it'll come out when it comes out the tears will come when they come grief wants to finish its process unless you work really hard to not grieve you're going to grieve and others of you know that if you're a skeptic, if you, if you have doubts about religion or about faith or about, for quite frankly, uh, the powers of the age, you know, it's not necessarily hard for you to articulate and bring to light the things that you see that you're skeptical about. And you know, when you're disillusioned, it's not hard to, to, to confess and, and talk about how, yeah, I've been let down and, and, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of struggling with that. I feel disillusioned. But you know the thing, the conversation we don't want to have? The the thing that buries itself, that doesn't want to be seen, that doesn't want to be talked about, it's the thing that we're talking, it's all the rage now these days, it's called shame. You know, shame's that painful feeling that I'm not enough for this moment, that I'm not enough for this relationship, that I'm not enough for this challenge, this class, this situation, this world. I'm not enough. Shame is a painful, unexpressed feeling that I'm not enough. We usually don't even put words to it. We just feel it deep in our bones. As Brene Brown says in her uh, viral TED Talk, shame is this painful, unacknowledged feeling that I am not worthy of love. There's a great book out. I'd recommend it called The Soul of Shame. It's written by a Christian psychiatrist, Kurt Thompson. He defines it this. He says, shame is an undercurrent of sensed emotion that if that if it could speak it would say i'm not enough there is something wrong with me i am bad i don't matter in other words shame is a wound more than words it's a wound more than words how can shame burrow itself into our souls and into our life. Well, there's a few different ways. You know, one way that shame gets itself inside of us is through comparison. You know, you look at someone else and you're like, wow, in comparison to them, I'm not as tall. I'm not as wealthy. I'm not as, I'm not as educated. I, uh, I'm not as resourced. I'm not as far along. And, and, and we look at ourselves and we're like, I am unworthy of love because I'm not like that person. I don't have their accomplishments. I don't have their body. I don't have their abilities. I'm unworthy of love. I'm not enough. And and they're the proof. Comparison is one way that shame works itself into our souls. You know, another way is through attack. Through attack. Someone, maybe it's someone crossing a boundary with you. That's all they did. They crossed a boundary with you. Maybe it was an attempted sexual assault. Or maybe as a child, it was actually sexual abuse or molestation. And and it wasn't your fault, but it feels like it was your fault. You feel like a bad person or a dirty person. You internalize a message that something is now wrong with me on damaged goods because of that attack. You know, it doesn't have to be that dramatic either. It can just be a condescending look in your direction. Someone has contempt on their face. They shoot it in your direction. All of a sudden you go, oh, I'm bad. I'm unworthy of love. I'm not enough. And they're the proof. They looked at me. They said something unkind to me. They attacked me. Shame can be an attack. Come through attack. You know, it's, it doesn't just make its way to us through comparison or through attack. You know, a final way it makes its way into our life is just through failure. You know, failure can be an incredibly good teacher. Failure can be actually a gateway to a whole new fruitful season of your life. Sometimes failure is actually an incredibly good thing. It's clarifying, it's teaching, it really is so helpful. But you know what some of us do is we internalize and swallow failure. and We go, see, there's the proof. I'm unworthy of love. I'm bad at my core. I'm, bad. I'm a bad person. I'm not enough. I wasn't enough for that moment. And we carry that event with us for years for years, we carry it with us, and we let it define us. Sometimes we've let people call us names, and we've just said yes to those names. Someone has attacked us through a name, and then sometimes in our events, through our failure, we're like, yeah, see, the name is true. Someone called me stupid. Someone called me poor. Poor. Someone someone attacked, someone gave me a name associated with my body, and, and I've said yes to that name. And I've let it stick to me. And I hope no one sees it, but I think it might be true. I'm afraid it might be true. Shame comes through comparison, through attack, through failure. And it wants to burrow itself and not be seen so it can destroy us and destroy our relationships. You know, we're talking about Peter today. And let me tell you what. Peter had some reasons to feel ashamed. When he first met Jesus, you know what he said? When he saw just the first glimpse of Jesus' power, we mentioned it last week. He's like, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm an unclean man. Have you ever felt like that? Like you're around someone and you're kind of intimidated by them. And you're like, just get away from me. I don't want you to see me. And Jesus says, follow me, you're with me, you're mine, you're my sheep. So come on, follow me, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to speak truth to you. And you know what, Peter just continued to have these big, he had a big mouth, he lived large. Um, there was a time when, when Jesus was querying his disciples, and he's like, who do people say that I am? They're like, oh, you know, some people say Moses, some people say uh, Elijah, and, and um, he's like, well, who do you say that I am? Do you get it? And Peter's like, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, Simon, son of John, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father revealed it to you. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And he's like, you know, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to, Jesus is like, I'm going to be crucified. That's a necessary part of, of me, um, of me ascending to my father's right hand and, and building this church. And, and, then, and then Peter, who just confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, was like, oh, Jesus, no. Um, come here. You don't need to go to the cross. <laughs> and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You know? Peter had to, like, go through some failure in his life. He had to say some stupid things we all do. Jesus wasn't rejecting Peter in that moment. He was rejecting the false voice that Peter was listening to in that moment. You know, Peter wanted to have his big, big day with Jesus. When Jesus was was, uh, leaving the Last Supper and was about to to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was right on the verge of getting arrested, Peter's like, I'm going with you, and I'm going to go to the Father with you, and I'll ascend with you, and I'll be glorified with you. It's going to be huge and amazing and dramatic, and and it's going to be my big day with you. And, And Jesus is like... One day, yes, but tonight you're going to deny me. What? And Peter, who had declared so publicly, so boldly, how amazing his loyalty to Jesus would be. He was so, he was so assured it was going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is, 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 uh, is, is, is uh, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter's like, oh, I'll take care of this and chops off somebody's ear and it doesn't work. And Jesus is like, let me take care of that and heals the ear. And, and, then, and then things go downhill. And then Peter chokes. You know, he's like talking a big game for three years. And in the fourth quarter, he chokes. And around the charcoal fire as Jesus is getting tried, people are like, hey, that's your, that's your master, isn't it? He's like, ah, I don't, I don't know him. No, 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 I saw you with him. No, 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 it's not. No. You have the accent. Come on. I, I don't know who that guy is at all. Leave me alone. Let him fry. I don't, I don't care. I'm just here warming my hands. You know how shameful that must have been for Peter to let himself down, quite frankly. To, to let Jesus down. You ever done that? You ever let yourself down? You ever basically fall short of your best intentions for life, your core values for life, whether you're a religious person here, non-religious person here. We all, we all have you know, ideals and a way we wanna live up to those ideals. Have you ever let yourself down and your ideals in the process? Have you ever let your hero down? Have you ever let your parents down? Have you ever let your professor down, your mentor down? And they're like, I'm sorry, I gotta give you a C. And you're like, what? What? I let you down? I, I never imagined this for my life. I'm not enough. I'm bad. There's a thing to prove it. Peter had a lot of reasons to feel ashamed. You know what we do when we, when we, when we start internalizing shame? The first thing that we do is we just hide. We just, we're just we just like, I've got I to gotta somehow, no one can see this. I've got to somehow, this part of me I don't want anyone to see. I've got to completely hide it. Maybe we hide it because we overcompensate. We, we cover up the things that we don't, we cover up the, the laceration. We're like, no one will see this. They'll only see my new shirt. Or, or we amputate the scar because we're, we're just going to take this whole thing off. I hate this part of me. I hate that part of my upbringing. I hate that failure. I hate that name. I hate myself. I hate all those associations that I have, and so it's just gone. See, I pay no attention to the missing arm. We hide when we feel ashamed. You know what else we do? We hate. We hate ourselves, and we begin to hate people who remind us of ourselves. We hate. We develop contempt for the things that make us feel shame. Now, I want you to think about this. What does it mean when your existence is defined by hiding and defined by hating? That means that you're totally alone in reality. When you, pull the, you might have friends, but, but you're not known, and you're alone, and, you have, and you're filled with hate. That's hell on earth. That's hell on earth. That's not, a fruitful, that's not being fruitful and multiplying. You can't move forward in love. You can't take risks. You cannot say yes to God. You've got to be filled with the Spirit when you are experiencing hell on earth. That's what Jesus wants to call Peter and us out of. See, when we feel shame, we, we hate and we hide. Jesus comes to heal. We hate and hide in response to shame. Jesus sees shame and he's like, no, 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 I've come to heal that. Kevin Miller, um, who pastors at Church of the Resurrection, is he's an editor at Christianity Today. He um, he talks about how Jesus bears our shame. This is part of the healing process for Jesus. And he just listed ten things. I'll list just a couple of them here of ways that Jesus actually identified with and bore our shame. He he this is some things I had not, I had not thought of in a while. Number one was Jesus was born to someone that everyone thought was an illeg, uh, illegitimate uh, mother. Like his whole life. And it's even documented in some of the Gospels where they're just like, oh, we know who you are. We know about your mom. We know about your birth. Oh, immaculate conception, right. Because in that day, it was shameful for someone to have a child out of wedlock. And, and, and Mary was shamed, and Jesus threw her. You know, another thing, Jesus was, was poor growing up, and then he was homeless as a man. And he experienced that. He let himself experience that. You know what else he experienced? His family thought he was crazy, and they came to get him in the middle of, every, in the middle of his ministry. He's like, no, 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 no. Shh, shh, shh. come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus. <laughs> Other people accused him of being possessed by a demon. Jesus experienced this kind of degradation and shaming his whole life. And then he experienced what Rome, the Romans... We're not afraid of pain. You know what they were afraid of? They were afraid of shame. That's how they designed the cross and the whole process. They whipped you until you lost control of your bodily functions. Did you know that? That's what happens when they rip your skin off with those, with those whips. When they put you on the cross, you're not wearing any clothes despite the religious art you've grown up seeing. You were hung naked, bleeding, exposed for the world to make fun of you. They wanted people to come and mock him. That's what Jesus has experienced. He bore shame. He bore shame. He took it completely on himself. And not only the shame that he experienced through his incarnation, but also the shame that he experienced when he bore the sins of humanity. When he took the things that we most want to hide and he exposed it to his love. And you know what? He bore it all with the security of his father's love. He bore it with the security. He was never overcome by it. He was never sidelined by it. He didn't hide it. He bore it with his father's love. That's what allowed him to endure. And when he was raised to life on the third day, he stepped on shame's neck and said, guess what, shame? I just shamed you. I bore you. I bore you all the way to your bitter dregs. And now I shamed you, shame. And now... I can expose every single person who has shame to my love. I've got the Father's love in spades, it's overflowing, and now I can apply it to every single person in life who will say yes to this great exchange. I'll take their shame, and send it to the cross. I will absorb it. And I will give you the Father's love instead. I will give you his vindication. I will give you his healing. I will give you his light. He will do that for every single person who will say yes to that great exchange. And that's how he heals our shame. You know, uh, my oldest son, Gus, when he uh, when he would get cuts on his knees, it's like four-year-olds do back in the day, um, uh, he... Uh, he uh, there would be of course dirt and and bacteria things in with the scrape and so we brought out the liquid to clean it out it which is never a front process to have your to have your you know it's already op- an open wound you know what i mean and you're you're putting hydrogen peroxide on it to clean it out and and one of the one of the times we were about to clean out his wound he was like not the burning cup <laughs> <laughs> not the burning cup so often, when Jesus comes to heal our shame, we want to scream out the same thing. Not the burning cup. Don't bring it to the surface. Don't give it a name. I don't want to have this conversation right now, and you know what? He won't force it on any of us. You know what he does when he brings his conversation, his ability to bear our shame? He he comes to restore us. He comes to restore us. You know what? He comes to know the part of us that we want to hide from everybody else. Because shame can be summed up as the thing you don't want anyone else to know. What is it about you that you don't want anyone else to know? Jesus comes to know that part of us so that we can never be burdened by shame again. Let's see Jesus apply the burning cup to our friend Peter. You know, Jesus lit the charcoal fire on the beach in the scene here. And as you know, smell is an incredibly powerful emotion, is it not? You ever smelled something and you're like, whoa, I'm 14 again. The charcoal fire is the burning cup. Bring it up. Remember the charcoal fire, Peter, where you denied me three times? And can you just imagine this breakfast? You're sitting there over breakfast and and just like Jesus is there and he's he's dishing up the fish and the bread and you're like looking in his eyes and you know he knows. <laughs> and you know that he knows that you know. Can you imagine looking into those eyes? <sighs> maybe maybe he won't talk about it. Maybe he'll just ascend to the Father's right hand and everything will be cool. <laughs> John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And I love this using of the the original name. That Jesus is identifying, Jesus is summoning the essence of, of who this man is, Simon, son of John. Can you imagine if someone addressed you by your full name, your full and proper name, your first, middle, and last name? You know they're serious, don't you? You know they have something serious to say to you. And he's like, do you love me? He's, he's like, I know you love me, and I'm he's summoning forth the love that Peter has for Jesus and the love he will have for Jesus' friends, Peter's friends, the lambs. You know, shame wants to destroy both kinds of love. Shame wants to destroy your love for God and shame wants to destroy your love for neighbor. It's exactly what Jesus restores when we have a conversation with him. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep, tend my sheep. You know, he's reminding him of his true vocation. His true vocation that we can read about in 1 Peter 5. When Peter says, shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Feed my lambs. You know, if you hate yourself because you're a sheep, you're not going to love the sheep. <laughs> Peter, if you hate yourself because you're a sheep and you choked... You're not going to be patient and loving and tender and forgiving when the sheep let you down, when they betray you, when they choke. You're going to hate them when they choke if you hate yourself when you choke. Ten my sheep. Take care of them, Peter. Let me take care of you because when I do, you're going to take a whole lot better care of the sheep I entrust you with. And he said to him a third time, verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? The burning cup, you know, it burns. There's grief. There's burning. What Peter wants to bury, Jesus is bringing to the surface. Yeah, you denied me three times. Let's just have it out in the open. Not to shame you, but to heal you. I need to know this part of you, and you need to feel me knowing this part of you. That's part of our love. Jesus is healing the moment of denial. He's healing all three. He's not just taking two bullets out, he's taking three bullets out, because he wants there to be a full healing for Peter. He's not letting it turn into hate, he's not letting Peter hide. And Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. This is kind of the commentators um, point out. This is sort of the essence of Peter's confession. Yeah, you know Jesus. You know, and I know. I denied you three times. You know, and I know. You know, and I know. I'm a sheep. You know, and I know that I choked. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep." And Jesus has a final word for Peter's journey. Let's not forget this is about also our vocations. This is not just about feeling better. This is about restored lives. This is about restored love. This is about restored vocation. Verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Yes, Peter, you will be on the cross for the life of the world. Yes, you will follow me. You will follow me. It won't be a substitutionary death like mine was. It will be a willing martyrdom for, the sake of, for, for, for love of me and for love of neighbor. Yes, Peter, you will do amazing things. You'll preach great sermons. You will see incredible movements of God. You will shepherd. You will take care of the sheep. You'll feed them. And yes, you will be led where you don't want to go. And that's exactly where Peter went. Willingly. Peter willingly bore his cross and followed Jesus in a fruitful life of love and devotion and service. He was probably an old teenager uh, or someone in his young 20s when he was following Jesus. But he lived a life of love and vocation and service. And that is what the Lord intends for every single man, woman, and child sitting in this sanctuary today. To be led by the Lord, to be giving, to give yourself for the life of the world, when the Lord takes away those awful names that have lodged themselves into our psyches, when the Lord summons the memories that we would rather forget, when the Lord identifies, hey, you're comparing yourself with other people, he is not doing that just to make us feel better, although there is an incredible healing impact. He is restoring your vocation. He is restoring your true name. And he is saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That is his intention for you. And that is why he will not let you hide and he will not let you hate. Shame sidelines. Jesus commissions. Shame sidelines and cuts down. And Jesus commission builds up and sends out. So where has shame sidelined you? I want you to know that you are called in your life to be known in the areas you most want to hide. And you know the first person that needs to know you is the resurrected Jesus. He is here, and he is ready to identify where shame has lodged itself inside of you and sidelined you and he's ready to apply the burning cup and bring healing to that and for some of you that is the first step it is saying yes jesus i it's been a while since we've spoken it's been a while since i've trusted you or or perhaps you are consistently seeking to love jesus but it could be that this morning that's the first conversation that you have That's not his only intention. uh, Another intention is for for us to to approach and find a safe person who can be an ambassador of Christ, who can also hear us verbalize what does not want to be verbalized, which is those names, those comparisons, those attacks, that history that we would rather hide and hate and amputate. My prayer is that we would become a church where there would be a lot of safe people where there would be many people who would be safe people to have this conversation with. For now, open yourself to the leading of the Spirit. We, we make prayer ministers available on Sunday mornings. And perhaps the Lord Jesus is saying, it's time to verbalize what you would rather hide and receive Jesus' grace and ministry and prayer. Whenever I've said yes to that, it's never been easy. It has always been freeing. As someone who has experienced the burning cup, let me tell you, there is healing on the other end of the burn. Kurt Thompson calls this process swimming the river of fire. Swimming the river of fire, where we no longer hide and hate in response to shame, but we actually enter into Jesus' healing for our shame. In closing, I want to read to you a modern translation of Romans chapter 8, a couple of verses from it. Those who enter into Christ being here for us, the translator writes, this is the voice of Paul in our language, those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death God went for the jugular when he sent his own son he didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant in his son Jesus he personally took on the human condition entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all so what do you think with God on our side like this How can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who wouldn't dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. And there is no shame. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, and confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed, which you can find on page 12.